It's time for Midweek Media Watch. Hayden Donnell, greetings. Hey, thanks for having me, Karen. That's all right. What have you got for us? So I guess first up is, is it's a late-breaking story, but I really want to play this clip, and it's from News Hub at 6 tonight, and it's David Clark, the health minister, speaking to reporters. The Director-General has accepted that the protocol wasn't being followed. He has accepted responsibility for that and has set about putting it right. David Clark throwing Ashley Bloomfield under the bus while he was standing diligently behind him. A brutal move from a health minister refusing to take any responsibility. Now, that doesn't seem like much, that clip. And this is, this is one of the limitations of radio. But during that clip, as David Clark is speaking... Uh, News Hub's camera operator pans from David Clark's face to Ashley Bloomfield's face, who's standing behind David Clark. Tova explains it, obviously. But it's just the visual of his face is just so devastating. He's very sad. He looks deeply upset. And then it just pans back to David Clark, uh, looking sort of carefree. And I'm trying not to laugh. It's 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 just uh, honestly, if you can look at the clip or if you watch News Hub at six, you would have seen it. It's one of it's a very it's, it's quite a touching clip, and I think it might actually be damaging to David Clark. It might actually be the first time someone's career has been significantly limited or even ended by a well placed camera pan. Okay, what's your assessment of the media's performance on the border crisis story? Uh, so this this is all part of the border crisis story. Just before we move on, I do want to pay some tribute to actually the News Hub's camera operator. Apparently it was a camera operator named Billy who did that camera pan. It's a very, uh, a, a very a, a skilled camera pan. It's sort of, uh, I guess, instinctual almost, and I, I do want to pay a bit of a tribute to him. But yes, the media crisis, uh, the border crisis story in general by the media, this was part of it, and I really thought that the coverage and I've written about this, has been really good. It's had incredibly positive outcomes in general. We have one news reporter, Kristen Hall, uh, who's just done a, a series of stories uncovering failings at some of our managed isolation facilities and quarantine facilities. Uh, Michael Mora of News Hub has also done really valuable stories. He did the one about a group of two groups of nine people that were led out of a managed isolation facility in Christchurch to attend a burial. And I think that these stories, especially the reported stories, have spurred our health authorities to make reforms and to improve uh, the procedures and systems in place at these facilities. And of course, that's very important, not just uh, not just to look good in the media, but to all of us. And that makes us all a little bit safer because this is essentially our only line of defence left against COVID-19. So those are the bouquets. Any brickbats? Now, that... Good that comp that 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 good stuff has been a little bit eroded, or I guess this week, and this is mm, it's been pushed back on by some people that have really taken, I guess, a bit of an objection to some of the calamitous language, the language of crisis, catastrophe, fiasco uh, that is coming across in a lot of these media reports, and people are starting to point out, hey, wait a second. Our health response is still pretty good. We're still doing it. We're still in a pretty good. We're still in a pretty good place compared to the rest of the world, and uh, of course, some of the commentary has come in for more criticism than others. And this is a bit that has come in for a bit of criticism. This is Patrick Gower on the project on Monday night. 
And one thing I would love to see the government do is test people at the actual border, not three days later at the hotel. Test them at the border as they come into New Zealand. Don't give them a pamphlet. Give them a test and catch COVID-19 as early as possible. But if they don't get a test, they have 14 days by themselves in isolation, right? So that's our, our buffer. Where they're walking around town, where they're mingling with others, where they're dealing with staff. I'm just not, I'm just not with you on this one. So that was Patrick Gower, and his, his, his big call there was for everyone to be tested as they arrive in the country at the border. And on the face of it, to any layman, that seems pretty sensible. But it has been pushed back on by several people, Susie Wiles uh, on News Hub and by Ashley Bloomfield himself, who said if we do test people at the border, it might just be a waste of these tests, essentially, or at least a poor use of these tests, because... A lot of these people will have picked up COVID-19 during their travels. Infection points are at airports and on planes. So the better course of action and to preserve our swabs and to preserve our tests is to test them at day three. Did he have a sad face as he was saying He that? did not. He had a very serious face and uh, it was very neutral and objective. He was back to being a normal public servant. So I guess Patrick Gower, he's done some really good reporting during this crisis, including uh, uh, something he exposed at the Pullman Hotel, where he found out that an exercise room that was being used, a room that was being used in an exercise room by uh, quarantined guests, was also being hired out for birthday parties. He's exposed that kind of thing. But this uh, particular call seems to have just been made on the spur of it, almost, and it goes against a lot of the reporting, even on his own news organisation. And there's been some other, I guess. Uh, I guess, dramatic language that's come out from some of the commentators. Fran O'Sullivan in The Herald, she called for a royal commission into this board, into these border failures. And uh, while that's an interesting call, maybe it would find some reasons behind the failures, these kinds of things have usually been reserved for things like the Christchurch earthquake or the Pike River mine disaster. And of course, we don't quite have that level of a crisis going on right now. We don't seem to have the return of community transmission, at least so far, of COVID-19. And all of this, there's been others, John Armstrong, uh, Tracy Watkins and stuff, they've they've called this a calamity, but all of this has led some, including the academic Jack Vowles, uh, to call on the media to calm down. Now, this is him on Afternoons with Jesse Mulligan. Well, uh, the problem with this opinion formation is that it can actually have significant effects one of the things I'm concerned about is that people are, if people are continually in a state of anxiety about their security and about the possibility of perhaps a step back up the levels, then they're going to be less likely to go out, they're going to be less likely to uh, make investments, spend money. So the extent to which we're being driven into a panic uh, is going to affect the recovery of the econ- recovery of the uh, of the economy. So that was uh, the academic Jack Vowles, and of course that has received not a great reaction from media, who sort of see it as an ivory tower academic coming down and lecturing them on how to do their jobs and not criticise the government. That may or may not be fair, but I can see why that impression is is there. Uh, but he wasn't alone. Jack Vowles was also joined by the journalist Martin Van Bainen. He also used a column in the Christchurch Press to accuse journalists of losing a sense of perspective on this crisis. So, 
private yeah. trusts you want to talk about, <laughs> and uh, setting, but a mysterious private trust setting oh. up an investigative environmental website. Uh, yes, uh, yes. So I, I actually I I, I missed uh, some stuff earlier on, but uh, I, I can move on to this next one. So we're saying uh, private trust. Here. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I should go on a little bit with some of this uh, 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 stuff about the media during the COVID nineteen border crisis because uh, the politicians as well have been getting involved with some of this. And so the National Party has also egged on some of the more, I guess, uh, catastrophizing uh, reporting on this. And this is Michael Woodhouse, uh, the National Party MP, speaking to the AM show. The source was reliable yesterday, but uh, actually uh, one of the five-star hotels housed a homeless person for a couple of weeks under the pretense that it was uh, somebody that came back from overseas. When the person was ready for discharge, he was asked for a forwarding address only to tell the official that he didn't have one because he was homeless. He hadn't come back from overseas. He just joined the back of the queue two weeks ago uh, and spent uh, a fortnight getting three square meals in a bath every day on the government. Now, that actually appears to be completely false. So uh, Ashley Bloomfield actually investigated that, or the health ministry investigated that claim, and Bloomfield said it was actually probably an urban myth, and Housing Minister Megan Woods uh, has written a sternly worded letter to Woodhouse asking for any evidence for that claim, and it doesn't appear to be forthcoming so far. Do you think that the criticism is fair? Yeah, so... The criticism of the media, is it fair? For instance, that, that, that report from Woodhouse, what was Duncan Garner meant to do, tell Woodhouse to shut up? Uh, n- no, you can't really do that. It's a member of the opposition speaking, and uh, the only hope that you can have is, is that you will, those claims that he makes are either accurate or that they'll be promptly rebutted. And that's what actually happened. A lot of that has happened. The media has uh, covered this claim extensively, and Michael Woodhouse has been called out for it. So, I mean... I, that that that's essentially the system working, I guess, a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't have put Woodhouse, maybe you shouldn't have encouraged him to make that claim. I don't know. A- another criticism that Vowles and the j- data journalist Keith Ng has made is that essentially all this feverish criticism undermines the health response because it undermines people's trust in authorities. And I can see what they're saying there, but how does the media balance that? How does the media go, oh, I'm doing a criticism, but have I taken it too far into undermining territory? And this is one of those situations where maybe it's better to be safe than sorry because actually the results of their quite insistent, fervent criticism so far have been a better health response. On the other hand, at some point, the facts of this case might not marry up with with the facts of what's actually the result of this border crisis might not marry up with actually some of the tone of the criticism of the government's response. So far, no one's died. We don't have any community transmission that we know of. We may never actually have any more confirmed. We may escape this, and we're still in alert level one. And maybe that's just because we're lucky, or maybe it's because this wasn't quite as big a deal or quite as drastic a failing as it first seemed. And so maybe the reporting language might have to pull back a little bit there. Sorry, now we can move on to the trust. Sorry, Karen. No problem. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, so far in the recent past, no one has died. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to add that. Oh, so a- as a result of the border failures, I mean. 
So we were talking there, uh, I interrupted you, to talk about a mysterious private trust. Yes, yeah, so this is a, 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 a strange new media player in town. So several journalists have been written to recently uh, talking w- with someone that's inquiring on behalf of a p- private trust which is apparently looking to set up an investigative journalism website and in the style of Canada's the Narwhal. And there are a few other details. It's very mysterious. <laughs> what else do you know about it? Well, How mysterious is it? I took it about myself to just uh, to ring and ask for a little bit more detail on this. And I rang the person responsible for sending those emails. And she wasn't prepared to name the trust that's looking to set up this website, saying that uh, the people behind it are media shy and unwilling to give interviews. And she... Uh, but she would confirm the trust is based in Nelson and it has a wide range of philanthropic interests is and it it's an, likely to be setting up a job advert in the near future. So it's an, an investigative environmental website. So are mm. we looking like Greenpeace or...? Oh, if you look at the Narwhal, the Canadian yeah. one... It, the it, Narwhal, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty... They're pretty dry stories, but they're actually like they're looking at really like coal coal plants being set up and the the, the problems with that and sort of like really deep nitty gritty stuff. Uh, so maybe this is what they see as a gap in the market, and it seems kind of laudable. But I, I, the vibe that I've got here is that if you have this amount of money to set up a new publication, why couldn't you just give this money to an existing publication with an existing audience, and they could fund quite a few investigative environmental journalists and pump them out to a large audience already. So, What's the rationale behind it being private and not knowing who it is? And that's the other thing. We, uh, that shouldn't last. Uh, there's, been, there's concerns about whether if you have a, a, a media company that's being set up and you don't know who's behind it, there are concerns with that because you don't know what the influences on the reporting are. So those people, no matter how private they are, will have to come out eventually, and maybe they will. I think that that will happen soon. All right, and Bauer, you'd like to make a comment on Bauer? Just a little bit. That, you know, a lot of these Bauer media, former Bauer media staff, has been, have been really busy. They've set up heaps of publications. There's Capsule NZ website. There's the Essential Services zine by the former Metro editor, Henry Oliver, which you can download online. And now Simon Farrell Green, who is the former editor of Home, he's put out a magazine called Here, which is, uh, it focuses on New Zealand architecture. And its first issue uh, includes just a lot of photos of beautiful buildings, beautiful architecture, places around New Zealand. Uh, it includes something of uh, Jacinda Ardern and her parents and Neve uh, at Parliament House during lockdown. Uh, and it's available for sale in supermarkets now. A couple of texts here. Last week, Tover O'Brien said to Dr Bloomfield at the press conference, how can anyone be expected to trust anything you say ever again? Why is that OK? Linda asks. And Steve says, at last someone talking sense about media responsibility in spite of the fact that Karen tried to derail the commentator. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Not quite uh, what happened. I was, I was determined to carry on through all adversity. You were. I thought you were going somewhere else, is what happened, Steve. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Hayden. I appreciate your time this evening. No, thank you so much for having me, Karen.